welcome to another episode of Management Muse. I'm your host, Cindy Baldy, and this is my husband and co-host, Jeffrey Tumlin. Yellow! Welcome to the podcast where we try to inspire better work performance. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to have our good friend Nate Self on the Management Muse podcast. I'm Jeff Tumlin. All the way from the other side of the house, my wife and par- podcast partner, Cindy Bali. Hey, Cindy. Hi. Yeah. All right. And uh, here's what you need to know about Nate, an honor graduate from West Point, and then was a uh, Afghanistan and Iraq veteran, uh, very down-to-earth war hero. He'll talk a little bit about some of his experiences there, but we wanted him on the podcast because since leaving the Army... He made a transition and became a successful businessman, executive coach, and trainer. And he's helped dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of people, make transitions of their own. And so he talks both from personal experience about transitions and also as someone who's helped many people with some of the bends in their bends in the road in their own life. And so welcome, Nate, to the podcast. Jeffrey, good to be here. Yep, I'd like to start off with uh, first question. What's the hardest transition you've ever made in your life? What was the most difficult transition so far in your life? I think transitions are just a part of life. Mm-hmm. I think I had two big hard transitions early on uh, in my development. One was leaving home after high school, mm-hmm. leaving Texas and going to New York to West Point and going from being a civilian kid to a military kid. And changing haircut, clothes, the words you use, all that stuff. And the military does a really good job of bringing you into almost a new identity completely. That was a hard transition, um, but it's one where uh, it's very structured and you don't really have a lot of control over it. So if you just follow the program, Hmm. the transition happens pretty easily. And then the the other one I'm thinking of is kind of Hmm. on the other end of my military service, which is when... I left the army and that one, I, I would say it's kind of the inverse in most, most ways that I described coming into the military. It, it was not structured. There was no program. It was voluntary hmm. and you're going from military where there's always an answer to civilian where there, there's either no answers or too many to even consider. So that was, I would say a much more difficult transition. Um, because for the first time in 10 years, now I had choice, infinite choice as to what I was going to do, what I was going to become. And I hadn't thought that much about it. And so you have to do something. So you just start doing things. Did you think that you were going to get out of the military? I did not. I actually didn't plan on it. I hadn't given too much thought about what I would do and how long I would stay in the military, but I made a fairly abrupt decision to get out. Um, Family was very important to me. We were having uh, kids and something we all, we wanted. But I knew there was this potentially uh, divergent path of the kind of family I wanted to have and the kind of military career I would expect myself to have if I stayed in. And we were having kids pretty quickly, and the deployments were coming just as fast or even hmm. faster. So um, I made the decision to leave the Army so that... Uh, I would be home to help raise kids. And uh, you know, had I stayed in, it would have been another 15 years of war. My friends and colleagues that 
stayed in, continued to care for their families along the way, and they continued to deploy. So I kind of wonder if I could have done that. I don't know. Um, but I'm certainly happy and pleased with the results that we've had in our family. And so I can't say it was a bad decision, really. So it's interesting already in just answering this first question, we've already talked about structured versus unstructured transitions, mm-hmm. abrupt versus deliberate, and then voluntary versus involuntary. And I think there's also another one that was kind of implied. It's that, you know, you go into the military and you're getting a whole new identity that is fairly unique to the ident- to the military and then having to come out right and not having anything that's really comparable. Yeah, what you see a lot of veterans do or military people do when they leave the military is they'll go find a job that correlates really highly to what they did when they were in the military. And that makes it an easier transition. Sure. And I had to learn that kind of the hard way, but as I got more years between the time I transitioned and whatever I was doing next, as I saw more people coming out of the military and we helped people make that transition, we would talk about, uh, even on a graph, here's who you are in high school. And then you move up into this culture that's highly structured and all that. And then when you come out, if you go to a defense contractor that you're just, you're kind of like doing security down in Iraq somewhere where you would have been deployed Right. And you're still carrying a rifle. Sure. That's almost the same job. So right. it's not that hard of a transition. And, and then I think there's also like the in-between. Because in the MBA program, we had a lot of military people. And so you're kind of taking like a little bit of a break, but it's still a very structured yeah. time of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. So the, the you got to understand the kind of the, the distance of the transition or the magnitude of the sure. transition and the larger transition is going to be, the harder it's going to be. There's just less relatable or transferable skill. There's less identity that translates. And so if you're going from military and this isn't just about military, but if you're going from military to Google, for example, that's harder than going from military to Lockheed Martin. And, um, you know, there are programs to help people transition, but we go through transitions all throughout life. And I think we, we just jump right into them and we don't think about is on a scale of one to 10, how hard is this transition going to be? And then rate the complexity of it, rate the intensity of it, and then account for that in our plans. Do you know much about what they do to try to help veterans, um, transition? There are several programs I could tell you that I think that they've done a better job with the high-ranking people. Uh, there's a there's a general officer transition program that is quite extensive, and so they take care of those executives of the Army as they leave. I think it's uh, not as robust farther down the ranks. I'm not completely familiar with what's going on right now um, in the military on the way out, but I do know that there are many employers that are welcoming veterans and they have transition programs for how they take them on. And they might be trying to hire exclusively veterans for certain types of jobs. And then their transition programs are pretty, pretty well structured. And then they have a network of people there already that have made that transition. They're there to mentor them. So part of the responsibility is on industry and part of the responsibility is on the other organizations in our nation and our world to help that transition. It's not just the military's responsibility. I don't think. And what did you have for help transitioning? The nature of my transition was abrupt, okay. and it was, I think, a pretty hurried decision. But we were up against another deployment okay. and up against another birth of a child. 
And I just said, enough's enough. I'm leaving. And I didn't really want a lot of people to know that because I didn't want people giving me a hard time and trying to talk me out of it. Right. And then I also thought, I just need to get away from this. Okay. Um, and so I just tried to get away from it. And I said, you know, I can just go do something else. And I didn't, I didn't, uh, well, I really, quite frankly, I underestimated how hard that would be. And so I disconnected from the support network that I had in the military that I'd been with for the 10 previous years. And that was a mistake. And then, uh, you know, just being like a high-performing, confident person, I thought, well, this can't be that hard. We've known you for many years now and now know you as a, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you about transitions is that, you know, not only did you make the transition, which you've been discussing the past few minutes about uh, military civilian, but you also transitioned and, you know, you're an executive coach and you're a trainer and you're a business owner. And there was a time when you were uh, a software developer and you're a father and you're on the school board and, and you're a coach. And so you're you're all of these things. And so... I view you now as somebody who, in general, executes transitions excellently and helps other people think through transitions. But at this moment in time, you're describing a transition that sounds like you really screwed it up. (laughs) And and not, I don't mean this is an obvious question, but why, in your opinion and experience, is it important to try to get transitions less screwed up and more right. Well, I think the number one thing that's at stake in your transition is, is the relationships that you have. Mm. I think it's the most important part of our lives. And so our jobs typically are the source of most of our transitions. We make a professional transition, but there are some transitions that are relationship-based, and those are the most painful ones. But sometimes when we change roles or we change jobs, we unknowingly have collateral damage in our relationships. And so that's one of the things I would want to emphasize is that uh, you have to account for your relationships first, and we, we typically do that last. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that those relationships are going to be what they were before and that we're just going to be able to count on those relationships and they get the relationships get abused. Um, I think that uh, we also, you ask what's at stake, we also compromise so many of the healthy routines that we have in transition. So, for example, uh, you have things in your life kind of the way you want them. Right. You've got a time you work out. You've got a time you meditate. You got, you've got your meal plan set up. You, you, got, you know where to go for, for work on your car. And you know where to go when you need help physically and, like, all these kinds of things. And then when you go into transition, a lot of those things are up in the air. You don't really know. Or you don't know how to schedule for those things. And so everything is uncertain. And you neglect you're eating, you neglect your rest, you neglect your habits that are not only healthy for you, they help keep you resilient during those times of change, but they're also a lot of your sources of joy. And so you find that these transitions just become miserable because you're not doing the things that you really draw your strength from. And I think what we should do is put those things Hmm. as a priority during the transitions and try to figure out how do I not compromise my my faith time or my time at church or whatever? How do I not compromise my time that I usually spend talking to my spouse? How do I not compromise the time working out? Those kinds of things that make life full and whole, those are the things that we 
we take off to schedule first. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in when I was in the army, one of the things that one of my commanders uh, used to say was when we were out on an operation, he would say, "Okay, before we plan anything else on the schedule, we have to have sleep and food for our soldiers." Because that'll be the first thing that we all neglect, and it's the thing that we need to be ready to fight. And literally, when we would look at the plan, and we're in the woods, tactically, right. we would look at the plan, we'd say, when does everybody sleep? When does everybody eat? Hmm. And most of the military mindset is, right. we don't need that stuff. Right. Hello, management users. Today... I want to tell you a little something about our coaching products. If Lady Gaga and LeBron James both have coaches, why shouldn't you? We offer a variety of packages, all the way from a 12-session package aimed to help you build your management muscle to a two-session package aimed to help you think through sticky issues and provide you with a second opinion. All our coaches have doctorates in the social sciences and years of real-world experience in business. So stop questioning yourself and pull the trigger. You're worth it. For more information, contact us at culture.com. That's C-U-L-S-U-R-E.com. If we're talking to managers and leaders in organizations, what would you recommend for them to be best equipped to manage a transition? Most of us, if we're parents or we're leaders, we're in control of most of the transitions that we have in our lives, but the people that are with us or under our care are not in control of those transitions. We all don't want the un- involuntary transition to happen. A lot of the transitions are voluntary. Some are involuntary. Some are good. Some are bad. We talked about all these different types of transitions. But for, let's say, my kids, if I decide to take a new job in another town, it's a transition for them that they're not in control of. And they may not see it as positively as I do. Right. And so I have to think about how hard that is when someone forces me to do something different and I can't change it. How does that feel? And as leaders in our families and in our organizations, when we make those changes, we have to account for them as well. So that goes back kind of to the relationship I was talking about earlier. It's not just about us. I think it's both all the time, but our tendency when we get constrained and when we get overwhelmed is to think about ourselves only. I do think that with high performing individuals, we want to be as efficient as possible and we want to maximize our effectiveness as well. We want to be as high performing as we can. And so we think we can do a lot more than we actually can. And when we're making a transition, things take longer than we think they're going to take. Mm -hmm. I think we should plan probably about 20% overage in these transitions on timing of things like closing on a house. is going to take 20% more than we think it is. And Things cost 20% more than we think they are. Oh, I can afford them. My kids come to me all the time. Hey, can I buy this? I have enough money. I'm like, have you accounted for tax and shipping? What's 20%? Right. So I think the rule of thumb in a transition would be, can we add 20% to everything? Because we know that it's a new environment. It's unfamiliar. We're not going to have the speed that we want. Because it's unfamiliar, we don't know the patterns. We don't know the cues. Our decision-making is going to be slowed down. And for a high-performing person, you're thinking to yourself, I don't plan. I don't want to plan twenty percent on top of everything I'm doing. That seems like a waste. What do I do if I get through with the first task and I've got twenty percent left over? Well, you know what? That's an opportunity for you to check where you're at, reflect on what just happened, do some learning, and plan the next thing so you can hit it and do it well. I think there's a lot of examples of 
trying to squeeze in too much, overestimating our abilities in a transition. We just slow down, take the new experience as it is. Um, and if you end up having slack in there, you can always do something with that slack. Um, but the opposite of having no slack, you look at, you're looking at a potential catastrophic transition where everything gets messed up. What about the, in your experience, the role of other important groups? You mentioned your faith earlier and other groups that you belong to. How did, how did that impact your ability to transition? Yeah. So I would not recommend a solo operation for anyone in transition. There's a lot of benefit to having other people along the ride with you. Um, when I made the transition out of the military, I've, yes, my family was with me, but I wanted to shoulder that whole load and I mm-hmm. wanted to carry whatever, whatever frustrations I had, whatever worries I had. I wanted to just keep it on me because I thought it was my job. And that was super dangerous and it, and it caught up to me. And at a specific point in time, I had to make the transition of from that to I actually need help from the VA. I actually need help from the local church. I actually need my family's help. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know what I'm going to do next. And so I need help kind of exploring professional roles and things like that. Um, I think the idea of having some sort of external resource mm-hmm. is an important one. It's kind of like you're in a boat and you carry an anchor along with you, but you can still, you can still sail. But knowing you have that anchor is something that you can throw outside the boat if you need to stop and yeah. say, I don't want to move anymore or I need to kind of, I need to sit where I am. There's some examples of types of anchors in life. I was just talking to a friend today who he, he has two kids that have left the house. One, one's a couple years into college and one is leaving the house. And so they're becoming empty nesters. And he was talking about, he knew that the next few years from graduating from high school for the kids to dealing with now you have an empty house your spouse is still there but for them yeah, yeah, yeah. there's just a lot yeah. not all activities gone it's a common transition for people they built a house and said this is going to be where we live through that transition post college until they get settled because we want to create some stability that they can come back to and say I'm coming home and this is a place I like to be and so they made a conscious decision to create a physical anchor for the family for a set period of time so that there would be some sense of normalcy and peace. And I think that that's a great example. Another would be um, a mentor. Um, You know, someone that is not in the storm with you that you can talk to during the transition that is going to give you a read on where you are. The biggest one, I think, probably, if you have an extremely negative involuntary transition, which happens the bigger the transition and the more negative, the bigger the anchor. And I think for some people, the only thing left there is their faith, mm. you know, whatever their value system is and they have, it might be their family, you know, everything else is messed up in life, but I have, I can go to my father or I can go to my mother, you know, or I can go to, go to church. I can pray that that will not move for me. And I throw out a bigger anchor, you know, the, the bigger the storm. So, um, I think there's a lot of examples, but I think it's important to have that sense of security that when all this is chaos, I have something I can go to that is going to 
be a solid sense of stability for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think importantly your that's a twin approach. The on the one hand you have the seeking the social support when you may need it. And then on the other hand you have this idea of multiple roles. Mm. And you and I with Cindy we've talked at length for many years about kind of what's commonly known as multiple role theory. And so that idea of being more than just a businessman, mm-hmm. more than just a mother, more than just a firefighter, is important to uh, not only to feel like you're more than just one thing, so you're a little more well-balanced, but also because some of those roles, as you point out, possibly could be taken away. And so you're a businessman until you get laid off. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you're not. But there's a, a, a book, it has one of the greatest titles in the world, but by a guy who was, that it's exactly what happened to him. And he would go every day to Starbucks and pretend to work. And finally, one day, the manager at Starbucks is like, hey, uh, you ever thought about working here? No, 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 no. And he went home and he thought about it. And he's like, you know what? I love Starbucks. I mean, I'm here anyway. <laughs> I don't have a job. And so he started he Starbucks. Was a marketing yeah. executive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like high end. New yeah. York marketing yeah. executive. Yeah, the title awesome. of the book is "How Starbucks Saved My Life." Wow. And it's this. I it's it's consistent with what we've been talking about. Is he was one thing, businessman. Mm-hmm. Marketing, so, yeah. Marketing. Yeah, marketing. Yeah. And so when that was taken away, he was just it, lost. Yeah, he was lost. And you're describing that. Basically, you had these these uh, two clocks were ticking when you decided to get out of the military of, I'm having a baby, and there's another deployment coming right back to back. And that's it. I'm done. And so it was quick. And then, proverbially, you found yourself sitting in Starbucks, not knowing what's next. And so I think both of those are very handy ways to help ourselves. So... You know, what we know about social support suggests that men sometimes have a little bit harder time seeking support when they need it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good reminder for anybody listening to this that, you know, we're never, uh, we're never on this rock alone. And reach out when you need a hand. And then the other side is try to be more than just one thing, no matter how important it is to be a coder. Or a manager. Or a doctor. Or a doctor. Because they do get all consumed. Yeah, sure. Or whatever you may, or a mom, or a dad. Try to be more than just that. Yeah, I learned that the hard way. I So a couple of the jobs I had in the military, I wore a beeper to work because we were a rapid recall. And I know that sounds silly, but there are certain units. The beeper that, or rapid yeah, recall? Yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> Who would be that important? It's kind of right, the silly yeah. part of it. Like, I, yeah, you need a beeper. I got to be able yeah. to reach this guy. Yeah. So um, it's not like I'm a cardiologist. Right. So, um, but we in one of the units I was in, we all wore beepers, and we had to be in within an hour of it going off, and then with 18 hours, we would be up in the air anywhere in the world. That was our mission, and um, it was a special ops unit in Savannah, and uh, so. That's an all-encompassing kind of job. You're always thinking about, okay, do I have do I have time to get back to the office? 
And is my stuff packed? And if it's packed and I leave and I never come back, is my family ready? And like the family is all in on that, right? So it's, it's all consuming. So yes, I have a kid. Yes, I have a wife, but they're all thinking the same thing I am, which is tomorrow, tomorrow I could be gone and never yeah. come back and the beeper could go off. Oh. Yeah. So when you go from that to none of that exists anymore, no one's going to call you. No one cares what you're doing. That whole identity is gone. And so the roles of husband, father, and then whatever my new professional job is going to be, whatever my new community roles are going to be, that doesn't exist really. Or they've atrophied to the point where they're barely even still there. And so, so when I transitioned out and I no longer was wearing the beeper and it wasn't the all consuming kind of role anymore, there's a big hole there and you're trying to figure out what am I identity wise? Who am I? And so you go back prior to the military and you're trying to connect to that, but you were a kid, right? right? Right. So, and now you're a father and a husband and you don't know what your job is going to be. And so you, it's a great opportunity, but it's also, um, a big unknown. Do your best to say, okay, which ones are going to hang out with me for the long haul? And how do I keep those healthy? It's going back to those healthy routines, healthy roles, healthy relationships, because a lot of those things are going to change over time, but you need some of that to stay the same. Mm-hmm. And you got to decide for yourself, what are the most important routines, roles, and relationships for me that when transition comes, that I know this stuff is going to be protected. When you think about uh, the transitions that we make, do you feel like the pace of our transitions is increasing? I'm not sure that I have a complete coherent thought on where I land on it, but I do think that people are, people are living longer and staying active longer. Hmm. And so there's more runway for work. And so you have more professional runway and capability, but I think the pace of change technologically uh, is increasing. And so the world we live in is changing faster. And so if your runway is longer, but things are changing faster, that would equate to more change, more transitions, I would think. If your work life is 20 years and you retired, like some people in the government do, um, then you might be able to just stick it out and fight the change and not do anything different. But I think if you work 35, 40, 45 years, even longer, 50, 55 years, it's inevitable. Hmm. I do think that there are periods of life where things change more rapidly hmm. if you're open to it. And then there's periods of life that you can kind of downshift and secure your surroundings and just kind of ride it out and hmm. like retirement, something like that, if you can afford it. Yeah. Um, but uh, leaving home, going to college, getting a job, establishing yourself professionally, trying to climb a ladder, Establishing family, getting married, maybe having kids, raising kids, kids getting them off. Then you're possibly have about 10 years in there. You have about 10 years in there before you have major disruptions. Then you're dealing with uh, aging parents and caring for them, uh, possibly major changes in, in those dynamics. And then you maybe have less change. Yeah. At that point, but yeah. from eighteen to 
50. It's high, high pace of change. Hello, management users. Today, I want to talk to you about executive team building. Our executive team building products help open the lines of communication so you and your core leadership team can smartly talk and think through thorny issues. We offer multi-session packages aimed to open up the minds and the mouths of those around you. So email or call us today at ondemandleadership.com. Talk a little bit about what you feel the role of openness is, being open and being willing to try stuff during transitions and bends in the road. Well, obviously, openness to experience is something that is somewhat of a trait Mm -hmm. that people either lean that way or they don't or they're somewhere in the middle. Sure. Um, people that are more open to change or open to experience probably see transition as an opportunity, something positive. They might welcome it. They might even be the agent of change and transition. They might be seeking it out because they maybe get bored sure. if they're not doing something different. And those people probably are happier with the change. People on the other end of the spectrum probably see it as a threat. Right. Um, what am I losing you may live on the West Coast, you may live in Europe, you may live wherever you are. I think the important thing is is to recognize that you've got to embrace some of that and try out wherever, you know, be a part of that culture and give it a shot. There's one point about the transitions. It's almost like uh, <clears throat> you're out on a run on a road and then you want to switch over to another road that's across a little mm. mountain or across yeah. it. You have to take a trail to get there. Mm. And so you're on a smooth road. You go fast and you can almost kind of like close your eyes and get into a trance because it's just you can see the path and it's like real easy. Mm. But then when you want to get off of that path, the paved path, and across some little trail to get to another road, it you got to slow yeah, down. you got to watch out. It's very technical. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you, you're going to fall. You know, you could hurt yourself. You have to slow down and pay attention to all of that. Yeah. You can't go at that speed. I think that that's another key difference between... I mean, there's a lot that I think applies to from your transitions to like non-military people transitions. I think you know, paying attention to the other sources in your life that are important to you while you're making the transition. Because, like, for example, I mean, your wife had a transition with you coming back. She was used to having basically a house that was organized her way. And then all of a sudden she's going to make room for you. And and so, you know, I think that that's a very astute point that, you know, when you're making a transition, well, in a way, the other people, at least the people you share your daily life with are also making transitions. But the, one of the differences I think that's really important and makes it a bit easier on most people who are voluntarily transitioning um, is that they get to, they, they have a more incremental path, right? Like they're in a job, they realize that they don't, maybe they're getting bored. Maybe they've timed out of the job. They start, you know, polishing the resume. They start talking to friends. They start thinking about the organizations they want to work for. You know, they, it's like they can, almost like virtually try on what it would be like to have this new ro- this new role in this new organization maybe could be a new role in the same organization and so before they even let go 
of the old identity, they're like on the monkey bars and they've swung out and they have a hand on the next mm-hmm. rung. And I think that the military people and people who are involuntarily transitioned, it's like you're swinging and there's no rung. And you're not really sure where the rung is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you let it, you kind of have to let go of the last one and then you're just hoping there's one. There's out something there, out there. Yeah. The Can't see it. Yeah. yeah. That's a great. It. It's a great picture, Cindy. Um, I think there are abrupt, dramatic transitions, many of them involuntary, that are just really, really hard. And when you're in those times in life, what's an example? Uh, losing a spouse, mm-hmm. getting kicked out of the army. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Losing your medical mm-hmm. license. Yeah. Um, going bankrupt in business or something like that. Yeah. You just, you are one day you're something and the next day you're, you're not that anymore. And you didn't see it and coming. You didn't see it coming. Yeah. And you don't have something else that you are. Right. And you have, you have <clears throat> nothing in, yeah. in the bank. You have, either literally or figuratively you have you you don't know what to do um those are the moments where you can panic that involuntary negative Mm. um transition can be a sense of panic and i think that's the moment where you have to reach out to people that can help you move through that those those external people the relationships that hopefully are there and um you know, if you've taken care of relationships, people will want to help hmm. and they're going to want to see you get through that. They're going to walk through it with you. Can you talk a little bit about timing in transitions, the importance of timing? Yeah, I think in general, decision making, in, in general, in decision making, hmm. we don't emphasize timing enough. Hmm. We don't think about it. And we also don't try to put as, as much influence on the timing as we probably could. What I'm thinking about there is, well, I want this new job. They're telling me I have to start on 1 July. Yeah. And I'm not willing to ask them for anything else because I really want this job. Right. Right. All, and I'm knowing I'm signing myself for, uh, I'm signing myself up for something almost impossible. Not just for me, but for my family. Hmm. Well, I have a kid that's going to be a senior in high school. What's that kid going to do? Well, maybe he stays behind with grandma and finishes high school by himself because I have to take this job on July 1st or whatever. Right. I can't wait. They can't wait a year. You see that all the time. And so we compromise those relationships, those roles, those routines, those things that are important to us. I mean, if it's important to someone who's important to us, it should be important to us. And we should be willing to question the timing and push the timing in the favor of us, in the favor of our, our own needs and right. the people that we care about. Yeah. I think it's hard to make a good decision when you kind of have a scarcity mindset. And that's yeah. when you feel like you have to take this job, like there's no other suitable job out there, then that's kind of a scarcity mindset. Yeah. And the thing is, is that usually there is something else out there. We have a tendency to narrow our options like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a narrow classic, frame. classic error. Yeah. Yeah. The tendency to narrow our options 
you feel like you need a transition, but you don't know what. So you're just going to grab the first thing that's there. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a mistake that people make is sometimes when you have a negative transition, you try to counter it with a positive one that's under your control. So I lost something like my kids moved out of the house, right? They're not there anymore. Now what do I do? Well, I need to make a positive change to counter that because I feel terrible about that negative transition. Instead of working through that negative transition, you're going to throw a positive transition on top of it. You think it's going to be positive. All you're doing is adding more disruption. So we need to sell the house and move somewhere because I feel bad because the kids are gone. And so you sell the house and move somewhere and you haven't thought about it. You know, I think that we do that stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, we try to counter a negative transition with a positive one that we haven't thought through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're looking for the first thing that comes along and we're not thinking about timing. Yeah. Or just working through that negative transition. Yeah. As managers, sometimes we're the sources, the creators of abrupt transitions for other people. Mm -hmm. What's something from your experience, life plus executive coaching, for how we can best approach those moments when we're the instigators of the transitions for other people? Well, we have to recognize that no matter how positive it seems for us, the other people may see it the opposite hmm. because it's we're, we're creating change potentially that we think is positive. And they are receiving change hmm. that they may see as negative. So they're panicking while we're excited. Yeah. Yeah, and and so uh, I think one way to alleviate some of that is to let them have a piece of it that they do have control over, not in a kind of patronizing, uh, manipulative sort of way, but to let them own a piece of the upcoming change that they can that they can shape for themselves. And have some say over how bad it's going to be. Right. Or turn it a little bit more positive for themselves. How many more transitions do you think you have in you? Um, thousands, I think. Okay. I don't know what will qualify as a transition, but um, even, me gone, even me being away for a week on travel and coming back is a mini transition. I'm very curious about things I don't understand. Okay. And so I guess some of those turn into transitions. Um, but when I find something that I think is working, I want to keep doing that too. So it's not, I don't just change things no. because I want to, but I'm interested and curious about new things. So I don't know. I no. would say probably as many as are out there. Okay. That makes sense to me. Let's, uh, Let's go around twice and each add, if we were trying to, as we begin to summarize this conversation, one piece of advice that we'd recommend for managers as it relates to transitions from either your experience or from the conversation so far, let's do, let's see if we can go around round robin and get six populated real quick. Piece of advice for managers as it relates to transitions. Account for your relationships first. Hmm. Be aware of the timing and that don't overstay an old identity. Hmm. Hmm. 
Well, I was thinking from a management perspective, you know, the more that you can help your employees sort of have that stability and some semblance of work-life balance so they have a shot at just not having a solitary identity that I think the more stable the workforce is. Have have an external anchor hmm. on board that you can drop and deploy when you when you need it, hmm. whether that's some sort of physical place that's safe or some relationships, family, whatever, an external mentor that can help you get some perspective or even just like your faith. Yeah, I was going to say the other thing is uh, I think openness mm-hmm. and being aware of the possibilities that there's a lot of upside in transitions, mm-hmm. even if it feels, uh, even if it spooks us at the beginning. It's a little scary. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the openness plays off of how we feel about uncertainty. And and I, I think that my advice would be that People have a tendency when they feel uncertainty to just make a decision, even if it's a bad decision, because they just want to get out of uncertainty and discipline yourself to not do that. Live with the uncertainty and get yourself in a better spot. The one I think is in transition is that we underestimate how long something takes and how much it costs. Mm. And so to plan to slack into the system and give yourself time to, to catch back up. Um, it's all new so yeah. you're going to be slower than you think and mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of mistakes made and you don't want to compound those because you have a tight schedule alright Nate thanks for being on the Muse and sharing all your wisdom on transitions we're grateful for that grateful for your friendship last words are yours anything you want to leave us with um, well I'll say that probably everything that I shared about transitions um, 98% of it was stuff that I learned from other people hmm not my own experience. It was someone speaking into my experience, giving me a perspective or a framework to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, of that 98%, y'all have given me a lot of that. The multiple roles, the identity constructs, and the huge um, with helping me make sense of all of it. And so a lot mm-hmm. of the stories I tell and the way I relate it to transitions and identity is from you. So, you know, we're all in this together. No one is an expert on transitions because every one of them is different. And so I would just say that be engaged, um, never stop thinking and learning, and never stop connecting with other people, and the transition will be just fine. Best you can make of it. Um, never be perfect. It will never be perfect, but you know it's coming. Um, sometimes when you don't expect it, and as long as you keep the important things in your life as your priority, then you're probably okay. Thank you, Nate. Thank appreciate you. you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to learn more about the topic, check out our show notes. And if you want to help us out, like, share, subscribe, and five stars are all deeply appreciated. See you next time on The Management Muse.